For listening today. Hey, we got a topic today that's near and dear to my heart, and that's record collecting. And do your old records have any value? Recently, I saw just in the last couple of weeks here, sales of new vinyl records have surpassed CDs for the first time in over 30 years. That's amazing that it's grown that much. But we're no experts on the subject. So to help us out, we have an expert, Todd Magnuson, the owner of Rock and Roll Land here in Green Bay. Todd, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Thanks, guys. You know what? People, I have a lot of records at home, CDs, and people are always asking me if they're worth any money. And I try to go into this long dissertation about that, but I think Todd can help clear this up even better today. He's owned a record store for about 11 years now and been in the music business pretty much his whole professional life. Before that, he had a long career in concert promotions at both the United Casino in Green Bay and other venues as well. So he knows the music business very well. I wanted to bring him in because as a music collector, people are always asking me if their records, or now their parents' records even, have any value because people are starting to unload these collections as their parents move to assisted living facilities. The general assumption out there people had asked me, is that all records are worth a lot of dough. Like, oh, yeah, I've got records, man, you know, just because they're <laughs> right. 40, 50 years old or something. So what I try to tell them is that, like comic books or stamps or anything else that you'd collect, the two biggest variables are rarity, how many were actually produced of an item, and then what condition they're in, because a lot of records especially get pretty beat up from going to parties and stuff like that. At least mine did. So what that really means for a lot of really popular albums, they're likely really not worth that much because there were so many millions of them produced. Todd, when people bring you re records and they don't know much about it themselves, what do you tell them in general about the value of records? Um, I like to have them just bring them all in. I'd rather have them not look stuff up because then they get like an inflated value sometimes. <laughs> sure. mm -hmm. um, you know, eBay may say one thing or something, but you know they could have a completely different pressing um their record could be you know if the jacket split or the record's scratched you know so that just the value can go from a dollar to ten dollars and in just one little error on a record one little scratch but i like you know uh, records have even increased on my end from me buying record collections in the last three or four years you know you look at uh some of these classic rock records that are so common. Boston's first record. I don't. I can't keep enough of that record in. I used to pay a buck for it, sell it for five bucks. I could use a hundred of those records, and now they're ten, fifteen dollars, depending on condition. So condition is is huge on on records. There's so many rare records out there, but they're rare for a reason. They're rare because they sucked. Well, <laughs> you know, they could have, but 
you know, there's psych psychedelic records that, you know, they might not have had mainstream airplay, so they didn't make mass produce. Let's say Boston's first record, there's probably a millions of those out right. there versus, you know, uh, you know, 13 Floor Elevator, a, a rare Texas psychedelic band that there's, you know, the rarity of them hitting Wisconsin um, back in the 60s might have, you know, who knows, there might have been 10 people picking that up versus a million people picking up Boston's first record, but... So there's such rare, bizarre scenarios for every case. You know, if somebody brings in grandma's records that it's all Mitch Miller, Glenn, you know, Glenn Campbell, some old country, some of those are so flat or not value at all. Some of the big band stuff, um, these Reader's Digest box sets, I can't, there's records you just can't give away. So even that, Records are so popular. There's ones that are just no one wants, you know. In that and, case, the market died. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah. And a lot of times, you know, like grandma's records, they they always had all these Hawaiian records, yeah. and you know, there's there's so many of them. The Don whole phase. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. There's, um, you know, you see collections that you know they could bring 200 records in, and it just happened last week. Somebody had 200 records in good shape, nice stuff. But there was like four records I could use out of that whole collection, because really? the rest of it, it's just so it would be so much filler, and so much dollar stuff, and I just don't need to buy that yeah. stuff right now. I can I can get so much of that out of just a standard collection yeah. now that, you know, that I don't, you know, it just it just makes no sense. Yeah. Some of these records are just so common, you know, especially if the, if the people are in their eighties, nineties, you know, that whole generation is 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 going to the wayside. So that era of records, 78s, that stuff, there's just hardly a market for that. Yeah. Now, do you find the local market has something to do with that? Like the market in Green Bay versus, say, Nashville or Austin. Do you think the value changes when you get to larger populated areas, maybe a little more progressive areas? Uh, you know, I, I would, I, I've seen so many people look for different things. And when I hit different areas, I don't think the value changes. I think the value stays pretty, pretty same. Uh, Green Bay's market, is a little, a little tighter. Like, you know, I look, I go, if I want a record, I don't really care at this point. Now I, if I need it, I need it to fill a collection. If it's $15 here, it might be $20 in Minneapolis. Okay. You know, but not a huge difference, but not a then. huge difference. No. You know, so there's, there's so many factors in it. And, and most people now are, are buying records that they don't really flinch, you know, and they're, if they need it, they're getting it. And, and I do so many like sales throughout the year. So I give a chance, people a chance to build collections for cheap too, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, record rarity can come about in a couple of ways. So first is a record that only had a few hundred copies printed, you know, to begin with. And that's like a lot of small regional 45s or albums, for example. You mentioned the 13 floor elevators from Austin. That record wouldn't last long on a shelf in Austin, but around here a lot of people might pass it by and not even know what it is. But there's another way a record can be rare, and that's when only a small custom pressing has been done of it. Like if they only print a small amount with a different cover. You know, the classic example of that was what's known as the Beatles Butcher cover. Beatles came out with an album in the mid-60s. They thought it'd be funny to pose with lab coats on and dolls and blood around and stuff like that and uh some got pressed that way and actually delivered 
but the record company quickly said, oh, my God, that's horrible. And then they switched it to a much more normal-looking cover. Is, is that Yesterday Today? I think yesterday the name Today, of that one. yeah. So now those few thousand that got out originally are sought after. In fact, some are sought after where you could see a label is actually covering that cover. And people try to peel the nice label off to get at the butcher cover. <laughs> That's underneath it. The other way is if a record is done in a small pressing on a certain color vinyl. So they might do 500 in blue and 500 in purple and 500 in yellow, and people maybe want to have all three colors if it's one of their favorite bands. So how else does a record become rare other than those two scenarios, a pressing or a original small run? Like you said, the Beatles yesterday and today, the paste over. Um, so many people have peeled that cover so now the odd thing is, is, is the rare, it's getting rare to leave it intact, leave the paste over, over the top of the butcher cover. So when, uh, when that record got made with that cover, it got pulled back and most record stores had to send those back. Some didn't, some sold it right away. Cause there's, there's diehards out that would buy that on release day. And there's sure. you know, several got out and they call that like the first state. And then they were told to send, you know, if you had a hundred records in your store, you had to send those back. The record company pasted over the new pretty picture, and they sent them back to the record stores. So they consider that a second state paste over. And then the peeled ones now that everybody's peeled, and you can get it professionally peeled, or some people have just peeled it and it looks like crap. But to find a nice paste over now has become a little bit more rare than even a second state peeled cover. So it's it's funny how collections and people looking for variants like that modern records now you look at somebody like taylor swift you know she put out her new record same record four different covers four different colors and you know so now people come in and i watch them have this dilemma like do i buy all four <laughs> wow. or yeah. do i buy one yeah. so they'll buy one and 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 then they shortly come back afterwards to buy all four because it's something it's that collector compulsive uh reaction is you want all the variants you want all the different versions yeah well if if you're like if i have records at home and i want to bring them in to get a what what should i do before i bring them in should i clean them should i like spend any time or money a lot on of those? times you you don't have to do anything like that. You're going to clean them anyway, Because right? I clean them anyway, and that's yeah. kind of been a, a thing since I've started is, a, you know, when I clean them, I clean them by hand. I do have a, a professional machine that I can use too, but I get to see it. You know, I get to see it, and I get to see the record, and I make sure the record matches the jacket. I'll put a new sleeve if it needs it. Um, I'll check it, and if there's got little marks or something, I can throw it on the turntable and then grade it accordingly. And that, you know, if it's got little surface marks, it could go from $5 or a $10 record to a $5 record as like a player copy. And I'll see Beatles records like that, um, especially early 60s ones. You know, those things got played, and a lot of times they got played on not very good turntables. <laughs> right. But it's amazing. Those, those pressings are great. They're very deep grooves. So even with surface marks, they'll play perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, you got a large collection at Rock and Roll Land of both uh, albums, 33, and singles, 45 RPM. Oh, yeah. But there still are some 78 RPM records out there. Are, do those have any value to you? Boy, around here, you know, I, I'll see 1,000 and maybe get five, you know, that are of any value. And, and meaning, you know, 90% of the 78s are a quarter, if that. 
But if somebody it. brings in an old Howlin' Wolf on well, 78. Yeah, I've seen them. And, you know, those, it's been so long since I've seen some of those. Those are probably, they're so fragile, so they're so hard to sell. So you have to find somebody local that wants that. And, and has a player that yeah. can play 78s. They yeah. used to all play 78s. Right. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a nice collection of, like, Hank Williams Sr. on 78s. Oh, boy. And it was, like, 15. I think it was every one of his singles from that wow. era and yeah. on the yellow MGM 78 label. And they were, you know, they're, 78s are pretty resilient. They can be pretty scratched, and they'll still play. They have that little 78 sound. Um, but those are about 5 bucks a piece, you know, so I think I gave them a buck a piece for them and, and – I sold them. I was one big chunk, so I think I gave the guy a deal for 15 records or whatever. But, and then I went over and listened to him on his old 78 player, and I'm like, man, that is the way that was supposed to be. And that yeah. was just something about those Hank Williams on 78, with that just crackle and that hiss of the 78 and that whine of Hank Williams' voice, and you know. But the blues stuff, there's rockabilly stuff, there's the Elvis 78s. I mean, those things are so picked over and wiped out and those are in, been in private collections for the last 50 years. So to see those in, you know, in a collection of 78s now are pretty hard, pretty hard to pretty find. Hard to find. What about like cassettes or eight tracks or even reel to reel stuff? I had a good collection of reel to reels recently and it's the commercial reel to reel. So you're looking at like Rolling Stones, Elton John. I think I had Boston on reel to reel. So those have gone up a lot because they're not, they're pretty rare. They're pretty hard to find. Cassettes have come back pretty crazy too, which is amazing. So if it's hard to find on vinyl, it's really hard to find on cassette. Certain, you know, the 80s stuff, the 90s stuff. And cassettes probably don't hold up as well as vinyl over the years. Yeah, they can they can get wear out. Um, it's conditioned too. If it's a lot of cassettes, you left them in your car, so they get that sun bake, so they everything gets real brittle. Um, eight tracks were like that too. That the labels get real brittle on them from leaving them in your car and that heat and cold and heat and cold. But cassettes, a lot of things, that little pad will fall off. And I never realized that when I was buying cassette collections. I'd just buy them all, you know. And then somebody would bring one back and say, it doesn't work. And I'm like, but so I started noticing this little pad that's in there that you need that pad pushes up against the head of the player. So now when I get a collection, I look and make sure all those pads are I remember are when you used to eject eight tracks and half the time the tape would stay in the player. <laughs> you pull it out on a big old string of tape. Yep. That, was, that was not a good deal. Eight tracks, boy, I tell you, there's a, you know, there's a, a big collector in Appleton, um, eight track collector. And I bought four eight tracks from a guy and, and they were like brand new. And um, it was a Ramones, a Dead Boys, um, God, it was crazy. They uh, might have been like television, the band television, the 8-track. And they were they had the little protector on the cap on the end of the tape, so it protect the tape and protect the pads. They were so pristine. And this guy posted them on Facebook, of course, and this guy from Appleton called me immediately. So now you're looking at a Ramones 8-track in that condition. It was like $100, you know? Wow. Mm -hmm. So the rarity of 8-tracks can be pretty crazy too, especially when it's the music, you know? It's, it's such a swing in value, and in its condition with eight tracks, too. Now, when an artist dies, does that increase the value of their records, or is that just a temporary spike? It's kind of temporary. For instance, the, the guy we're waiting to hear on any day here, and it'll be a bad day for us, is Willie Nelson. Oh, I know. Because he's one of those guys. So if Willie were to pass, would you immediately mark up the records you have I'd in the store? I've never done that. 
I don't see a reason to do that. I mean, it's such a, I mean, I could do that. Prince was a big deal. And, you know, when he died, I remember it was like a Thursday and we probably had 10 or 15 Prince records from $5 to $20 in our print section. He passed away. This, this young guy came in and he bought them all, you know, and he's like, can I buy them all? I'm like, I'm here to sell records. I buy them all, you know, it's, it is what it is, but I never marked any of those up. Willie, Willie records can be, you know, he's got stuff that's so common that's $5, but he's got records that are in the two, $300 range that are so rare, just right. oddball things that he released over the years. But he's got such a huge career. I don't know if his stuff would really go through the roof because I think you can always find Willie Nelson records for the most part. There might be some oddball ones, but you know he he'll be a he'll be a tough one. That'll be a different different scenario, I think. But you know Kenny Rogers when he passed away, there was no real surge on his records. Um, David Bowie was another big deal. Tom Petty was a big deal. Those are still pretty hard. You know I, I can if I get five or six Tom Petty records, they're gone pretty fast. David Bowie, if I get one gone, one gone. You know they his stuff is pretty uh, relevant. So what about CDs then? Are they worth anything now? Um, CDs, boy, they just about when I think they're done, they come right back again. I have probably more new CDs than I ever had in the last five years. Used CDs, I still have a good five, 6,000 used CDs on a pretty regular basis. I got a good handful of people that are still CD guys. You know, they'll just come in and buy that. Whatever I still new. buy them. Jake still mm-hmm. buys them. I mean, yeah. They're so nice for the car. Well, if you have a player, a lot of newer cars well, now. Well, I know. Players. I bought a, in 2017, I bought a 2016, the last one on the lot, because it was the last car with a CD, CD player. Right. And that's why I'm going to hang on to this car, unless the CD player breaks. But, but in general, so if I have a Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, that's on pretty, CD yeah. and on vinyl, are they worth about it the depends. same? It depends. You know, there's, there's like various versions of that CD, let's say that it's like the Mobile Fidelity CD. Right. Uh, there's like these gold standard CDs. There's these super audio CDs. Those can be really valuable, very collectible versus your standard release, Pink Floyd. Um, they'll go, they'll go fast, especially that stuff. That stuff's just pretty much just as popular as the record, you know? So any Pink Floyd on CD, I hardly ever have it. Um, it goes very, very quickly versus, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish, which popular record, popular CD. I just don't, you know, every collection has it. So I got 20 copies of that at a buck 25 CD, you know, so it's, it's versus, but new CDs, you know, some of the new records, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers double record, it was like $40 retail. You know, the CD is 15. So now these younger kids, they're like, man, do I want to spend $40 on a record where I can pick up the CD? I started carrying new CD players again. They're making some new single disc, really nice CD players. So people are starting to buy CDs and play more CDs. And it's the single disc now. No one wants these big multi-disc, multi-changers. I brought you a 100-disc changer. That's at your store? Oh, my God. For years. For years. So I think it <laughs> now got, I wish I had it. I think it slowed. I think everybody slowed down with playing one record at a time. That now all of a sudden you can only really listen to one CD at a time. Anyway, you got everybody got kind of back in the swing of flipping your record. So now people are just playing one CD, 
eject it, play another CD. You know, you don't have to throw a hundred CDs and let her let her let her fly anymore. You know, so I think that's kind of one good thing. Um, this new CD player I have, it's just there's no drawer. It, it slides in. It's really nice. Um, it's got a lot of nice features. Um, it's been a real popular CD player that's, for people. That's good again. advice. So, so if any of our listeners have an old CD player that isn't uh, working very well or un- unpredictable, head over to your store and you can get a nice, yeah. nice single disc yeah. player. Huh? And making, you take those used ones as trade-in, and then you yeah. have them gone through yep. and fixed up, right? Yep. A lot of times I'll get them refurbished. Some, some machines and players and receivers are better than others. Um, my favorite is always the guys that – I bought this when I was in Vietnam, and I'm, I'm always like, bring it in, because that stuff is amazing. And it might they might have been not using it for the last 40 years, but it was all high-end electronics back then, and they were buying it in Japan and, and overseas and having it shipped home. And the stuff was made to last oh, yeah. back then, and whether it was a refrigerator <laughs> or a it was worth. Those things are always player. so worth sticking a few bucks into it because they'll last another 50 years after you get it recapped or re-whatever it needs to be done. Well, now, you've got records, CDs, um, equipment. What about memorabilia? I've been in your store, and you've got stuff hanging on the walls that looks really cool. Where, where do you get that, and you know, how does that all work with your store? So a lot of stuff is stuff that we've collected, or I might buy a memorabilia collection. I just bought a big Kiss collection, and he was kind of all over the place. He had concert shirts, uh, to lunch boxes, um, belt buckle, Records, obviously, cassettes, eight tracks. He had a big, big kiss. He even had these weird kiss toothbrush that played a song. Well, you know, my, about maybe ten years ago, my brother-in-law. He's a big kiss fan, and he came and I saw his his masks that he sold to you up on your wall in your old store. I don't know if you remember that or not. I, that was your brother-in-law. I didn't his, know his that. His name was yeah. Mike. Yeah. I remember those masks? Yeah, and he was a huge fan. Those but, are the kiss stuff is crazy. You know, there's always the new kiss collector version. Yeah. You know, some so this older guy dumping his kiss collection and then the next guy comes along Buying and it. wants it but the memorabilia um we might go to concert concerts or something and get something signed and we get something signed to the store or we get something signed just in general it looks cool on the wall and then somebody might say hey is that for sale and i have to go i don't know maybe and mm-hmm. then come up with a price so a lot of times it's just you know might if somebody inquires about something, it might be available. It might not. Sometimes I'm like, I don't want to sell that, or yeah. and then you know, make me an offer type of thing, and then I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's not your main business line, but you'll sell stuff if you yeah, get the right price yeah. on it. I'm, okay. That Mill Creek Blues Bar closed up in Appleton. I think they reformatted yeah. a little bit. So they brought a lot of their memorabilia because they just had so much. So I had autographed guitars autographed pictures they had a really cool collection of framed 78s with not not necessarily autographed but they were really put together really nice so it had like let's say bb king 78 a little picture of bb king and like a little plaque of like his birth year and it was funny because he hadn't passed yet so they just had his no death year on it but then i had a muddy waters one holland wolf one some old blues guys really nicely done and they were like the 78s were like mounted to this backing so you couldn't really take it apart you really had to keep it like that because it was like glued to the oh so it kind of destroyed the record yeah but they were really neat it was neatly neatly put together so it was kind of a cool collection as if you're just going to decorate a music room or you know want something kind of rare that 
it's framed. What was like the coolest and most original one that someone walked through the door with? Just say, would that be it, or is there? Uh, probably the one of the cooler autograph things that we knew was look legit was probably like a Johnny Cash autograph on a record. Yeah, um, he had a pretty distinctive signature, very nice penmanship, really cool signature, and we had he had the ticket stub that went with it. It was so it was complete, so we knew it was like for real. Like mm-hmm. he had gotten it signed, I think, when Johnny Cash played like the Carlton mm. in the seventies. So. Really cool, cool piece, and to somebody to have the to get an album signed back then was kind of I mean that was really thinking ahead, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was probably one. It might not have been the most valuable one, but it was probably my favorite one, and that was one that I was like, man, that looks so cool hung up on the wall. I don't really want to sell that one, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but it's fun finding weird little things in records, you know, ticket stubs, and um, we bought a collection, and this guy was from Madison, and. So let's say he saw Boston at the Coliseum in Madison or whatever. So he would tape the ticket stub to the record. And at first, when I was cleaning the records, I was pulling all those off. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. It's kind of cool. It's part of the collection. It's part of the story of that record. I said, so I started leaving them on there. And it just kind of became part of that record. So if that ticket stub went with that record because that guy bought that record and wanted that concert and saw that concert on that tour or whatever, so it kept it together as yeah. a piece. So sometimes I'll do that. I try not to. I try to leave things intact. Um, little notes and records I'll leave in there. You know, there's been little love letters and records, or somebody wrote all the lyrics down. And those are just little things that I feel like have to stay with those records as part of the story. Right. So it's fun seeing memorabilia and different things and getting let's say getting that story from the person that's selling it to me and and then I try to keep that together mm-hmm. and that's cool I've got a friend named Brent Crabb who I think you know and he is a world-class artist I don't know if you've seen a lot of his work but he mostly pencil stuff he does but in different mediums and we're I had him over one day and we're playing records and drinking beer and I, I got a Bo Diddley album out that I got at your store and I pull out this record and start playing it and he goes let me see that and on the slip cover is a sketch that he drew as a little kid, like seven years old, of Bo Diddley on a motorcycle and everything. Here, it was his dad's album. Somehow ended up in your store. Wow. wow. I bought it. That's And crazy. it's got Brent's. And I, I always tell him. That's like an early drawing that he did. Yeah, probably yeah. one of the first that's. Wow. And I always tell him, I can't give it to you. I'm waiting for you to die. Yeah. So the value increases. <laughs> but what are the odds of that? God, right? see, that gives me goosebumps because that is, it's so funny how, how records can completely make a cycle like that from, from some, your friend's dad to God knows how many people it went through to it ends up in the store. And then somebody, you come along and buy it. And you're, you're not thinking anything of it. And then you're, he's like, wait a minute, that's my drawing. That I've is seen sweet. like guys pull records out and like, this was my record when I was in high school. I had, I bought my records yeah. at your store. Because they had a little tag on it or yeah. a little, a little wow. mark that you, let's say you put a little X on it yeah. that you knew it was yours to, to not really mark it up. Back in the original vinyl days, I was a DJ. So I had to haul these things around to gigs. And I know the vinyl records are heavy. But I've, which is hard on old people, and I've seen you actually run out to people's cars and help oh, yeah. bring the records in, yeah. or in the case if you don't want them, back out to cars. Yeah. So for 
older people or ladies who have somehow fallen into a collection, their parents have died or they've moved to assisted living, and there's all these records. You actually make visits to people's houses, right, to buy collections? I've gone um, two summers ago. If I can if I can make the time, and my time is always, my days off are so limited. I always got so much stuff to do. But I try to, you know, if it's a big collection, um, not last summer, the summer before, and and he's a nice guy, but he's got a he had a an injury, a work injury, so he's not he's got a cane, and you know, and he had five thousand records, and all in his basement, of course. So I said, well, I'll come and take a look at them, and we'll go from there. So, and usually I can tell pretty quickly, based based on how they take care of it, how they're stored. You know, he had them all meticulously on shelves, all in order. He had like dehumidifiers running downstairs. He had, you know, so it was real clean, not a musty basement, very clean records, all in plastic. So I kind of do a little scan and, you know, I'm trying to do this all in a short period of time so I can get them loaded up and then back to the store and process. So I look at them. I kind of get a gauge of what he's looking for, and he shot me this crazy number, and he was kind of kidding. And then uh, we got to a realistic value, paid him, and then started loading my truck. So, and and he felt bad because he couldn't help. And I said, no, that's okay, you know. And then every time I brought a load of records up, he's like, oh, you're ripping my heart off, you know. <laughs> so he was kind of guilt, you know, sure. remorse, but he just couldn't enjoy him anymore. He couldn't go up and down the stairs. So he kept about 200 of this 5,000 and kept them in a room. So it was it was funny because he was a super nice guy. He was happy that they were going somewhere and then still a little bummed out. But I, when I paid him, he's like, oh, maybe I'll start buying records again. Yeah. yeah. And, and his wife was like, the hell you are. Yeah. You know? Now, is that like one of the biggest collections you've no, purchased? No, our first, our first original collection uh, we bought was from a, a guy in Appleton, and he wanted – he he didn't he said he had ten thousand records, and he wanted you you could you had to agree to his price before you come and look at him. No cherry picking. And again, he was another guy who had some health issues. His wife had passed. Um, his kid had two daughters. His daughters didn't want anything to do with him. So we make arrangements to go. This was before we even opened the store, and so we make arrangements to go look at this collection, and we go downstairs. And it's 40,000 records. Wow. It's just two crates high, 100 crate, hundred records in a crate. It was records everywhere. So we proceed to bring all, we had a U-Haul. We proceed to get all these records upstairs and then in this U-Haul. And the U-Haul, I've never seen a U-Haul like sag. Wow. And we, we couldn't, heavy. we couldn't fit them all. So we had them up in the, we had about a 5,000 left in his garage that we couldn't fit into this U-Haul. So we get them all, and we didn't even have the store yet, so we get them all in this truck. We had to take them to another house and put them in a basement. Oh. So up and down the stairs again. And I've never wanted to cry so bad in my life. <laughs> but we had to get this U-Haul truck back by like 6 o'clock. So it's like quarter to 6, and I'm and I'm, no one, like, we killed our kids. Our kids ran away that were helping. The, you know, all these other people that were helping, we just couldn't, they just were like, we're done. And... I'm, they're like, how are you still doing this? I'm like, I got to get this U-Haul back. I don't want to pay for another day, you know? And, uh, of course, then when we had to finally move them to the store, we it was a walkout basement. 
and we were able to just load them up on a trailer and take a few trips and then walk them right into the store. There was no stairs, so it's the stairs that yeah, are so that brutal. Was, oh, I know. I always had to bring Wow. I'm like, so every time it, you know, never fails, a huge record collection is always in a basement, you know. I got a couple records. I got quite a few records, but just two I want to ask you about, just see if you've seen them or if they're and – and I'm saying this because when people come over, I mentioned we have parties in our basement, and they always want to hear the same popular records. But I like to pull out a few unusual things. So I have a first-pressing picture sleeve, Prince Purple Rain 45 on purple vinyl. I don't think very many of them were made. Have you ever seen one of those? yeah. yeah. That was kind of, I mean, that was such a big deal. I think that was like a promo thing on the purple. So there's not a lot, but they're out there. And boy, the last time I think I had a nice one with the picture sleeve, it's like 10 bucks. Okay. You know, but online it might be 20 or 25, but it's, it could be, you know, it's, it's different, you know. That, I just mentioned it's that been a one because when women come over, they like to hear Prince. <laughs> and so I always pull that one out. And then I have a couple of these records that, were made out of cardboard, and it came from a back of cereal boxes. Have you ever seen those oh, yeah. at all? Yeah. Do those have any value? No. You know, mine still play. Yeah. And I know this because those are another one I'll usually play at a party. I got a monkey's one and an Archie's one. The monkey's one is kind of collectible, but a lot of times if I get those, I usually hit up like a monkey's fan that and say, hey, do you have these? Because I'm happy to just give those away. They're, they're a couple bucks, maybe five bucks for the monkey's ones. Um, but there's like Toucan Sam and there was like the Sugar Smacks and there's a ton of the just generic ones. <laughs> it's amazing they still play though. Yeah. 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 Well, because it's, it's vinyl really pressed on cardboard right. and if it didn't get wet or didn't get ripped in half or bent or anything weird, you know, it can still, it'll still make music or make noise or whatever it does. But yeah, those, I used to have like a little spool of them because they'd be in a record sleeve or something and mm-hmm. I'd just keep them on the wall. And the flexi disc and all these weird little. I got things. a few flexi yeah. discs too. Yeah, there's some crazy weird Beatles flexi discs that can be twenty or thirty dollars. So, what would be your holy grail vinyl to come walking through the door that you'd like to resell? You know, if it walks through today, you you know well, it's like going to sell said, today, and you know who to call. We or... said earlier, you know, there's I got a good kind of Rolodex in my head of certain bands that are, people are looking for, but Thirteen um, Floor Elevator would be pretty rare um i had one come in in the 11 years almost 12 years that we've been open and a guy called me from a rummage sale and he's like hey there's all these records and he's selling them for like a buck a piece and he had two like behind like on a shelf and he had ten dollars a piece on them and i'm like what are they and he's like a velvet underground with the banana yeah i got that one and then he's like this band it looks weird it's 13 something 13 full elevators he's like yeah buy it and he bought it, immediately brought it to the store. I gave him double what he paid. And I sold both of those in within 10 minutes of wow. getting them both. Yeah. They were so nice. And so, you know, the 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 man, you know, that those are those rare ones that people won't even, you know, flinch at coming to get. You know, the people I know that want those. It'll, it was an unpeeled banana. It was in great shape, real pristine. The 13th floor elevator, again, great great condition you know pristine but to find those at a rummage sale now they're getting pretty hard mm-hmm, right this was 10 years ago you know? what's the holy grail album you'd like to see walk through the door tomorrow that you would never sell no matter what but you would keep for your own collection god do i have one of those anymore let's see i have a few you know i'm a big tom waits fan 
and I recently just picked up the last album I needed and it was never pressed in the United States so it was always overseas and um, there was one available in the States and I was like I'm never going to see this again so I bought it but you know to see um, let's say a replacements collection or a complete collection or Ramones collection those would be pretty desirable and pretty hard to part with you know there's there's like a let's say misfits if you know you get these certain misfits records you know they'd be fun just to have on the back wall and just to put a not for sale on it or make an offer and um but i don't know if i have a real holy grail off the top of my head anymore do you even have a collection at home anymore i do i yeah. have about four thousand records i guess if, if i my one of them thinking now is uh driving and crying the fly me courageous record and I should have bought one years ago, and it was about a hundred bucks. It's about four or five hundred dollars now. Again, that's one of those '90s records that was never pressed in the United States. I keep waiting for a record store day release on one of those. You know, I wish they would just do some '90s stuff and put some of that stuff out. So if that came in, I'd probably keep that one. I don't keep too much out of collections, just because a lot of times I pay X amount for a collection and those are the ones I need to sell to make my money back. Sure. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm, as much as I want some of those, sometimes I'm like, Oh man, you know, we've had some killer jazz stuff come in. And I think if I saw like a real early Miles Davis jazz record now at this point, I, I feel like I'm touching into some of those records now, which, you know, the fifties, sixties jazz records, the blue note stuff and to find those on original and to find them nice and clean are very hard those don't don't hardly ever come in, in in good shape so i think if something like that came in i'd probably you know depending on what record it was i couldn't think of a title off the top of my head but i'd probably try to hold on to a couple of those you know just because i know i would never see them again now shifting gears a little bit you used to produce organize and book a lot of bands concerts some no, small names some big some big bands you know what's your favorite concert that you ever did book or put on um, probably when I had my bar, I had uh, Martin Zeller from the Gear Daddies do a solo show at my bar. And that was probably my, I was such a fan of the Gear Daddies when I was a kid. And to have him come and play at my bar, that was like the first time I had a little fan starstruck kind of thing. He was so awesome. And after that, things got easier as far as meeting some of these celebrities or these big names. But, you know, my favorite one at the casino was probably the Stray Cats when we did the Stray Cats. You know, just such a fan of those guys for so long. And we got to know them all individually throughout the years of having either Lee Rocker come or Slim Jim come, and Brian Setzer would come every year for his Christmas show. Those guys really kind of liked us a lot, and we really liked them a lot. We got to be real friendly with them. So when we finally were able to do the Stray Cats... So is it more relationship? Do you have to do a lot of research on that? I think sometimes it just comes naturally. I think a lot of times we would get, you know, there's agents involved and they would pitch their certain bands. and But sometimes I think we just went with either a gut feeling, we knew it was going to be good, we really liked it, or we took a chance on somebody that we never heard of. I think have Jason Isbell at the lounge when he first left the dry bar, when he first left the dry bar truckers. And we didn't know what his solo stuff, he barely had anything. So we're like, man, he was in the drive-by truckers. He's got to be good, you know? <laughs> and he was great. You know, he was so awesome. We had him three nights in the lounge, and he was still kind of a train wreck then. He's kind of straightened his act up a little bit. Which but, brings me to my next story. Yeah, he was awesome. <laughs> so we always like to say we're 14-year-old boys in 65-year-old bodies. 
So we like to talk about sex and drugs. Can you tell us a story of debauchery that you happened to walk in on and a back scene, backstage scene? You don't necessarily have to say the artist's name, maybe the era or anything you've seen that was like, wow. I think, God, I don't know if I've ever necessarily walked in on it, but I always got kind of shocked at some of the extra people <laughs> backstage. Like, I'm like, where did they come from, you know? Certain groups had, you know, that was part of their, all of a sudden there was a, a let's say a lead singer was there and he, he had his band and his stage manager and his tour guide and then two girls. And I'm like, where did they come from? How the hell did, and they had passes and they had, and it's like, they, but they were from here. They were from Green Bay. So I'm like, did they rearrange or arrange this stuff ahead of time? Did I ever tell you my Ray Price story? Well, this was a show you booked. Yeah, I love Ray Price. <laughs> so, Ray Price, he was what about five foot two or yeah. something, little guy, and you had him in the lounge, full twelve piece band, a piano and violins and everything. He had a big security guy with him, and you know this is towards the end of Ray's career, yeah. and he was probably late eighties or mid eighties or something like that, and so the crowd there to see him was a lot of women that were mid-70s and boy they got all dialed up for this show they had a lot of like beehive hairdos and, and we're standing right in the walkway and you did not have a backstage area at your right. facility there so the artist had to come down off the stage and walk right through the crowd to, at the end of the show and we were standing right where he had to uh, walk past and I was next to a very buxom lady who had a very low-cut shirt on, a big beehive hair too, 76 years old or so. And, you know, Ray had that song, Lay your head upon my pillow. And Ray came out with this big security guard behind him. And this lady grabbed Ray's head and gave him a titty rub like you wouldn't believe it and said you can lay your head on these pillows anytime ray messed his hair all up he came i mean we were literally one foot away from this and i always tell everybody wow that was like the most rock and roll thing i've ever seen at a concert and it was ray price it wasn't like motley Crue or something wow that's cool so uh well you know todd it's been great having you on the on the thing here you want to let our listeners know how they can reach out to you if they want to buy some albums or vinyls or they want to sell some. What would be the best way to reach you there? We're on Facebook, rockandrollandgb.com, or just type in Google Rock and Roll and. We I think we pop right up. We're, we moved our new stores on 838 South Military. we got a bigger location, rockandrollland.com website. You can see pre-order stuff. You can see upcoming releases. You can get a hold of us through email on there, too. There's links to all that. We're on Instagram and Twitter and all that fun stuff. Great. All right. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot. Geezer Life is written, directed, produced, and edited by Dave and Jake. We do it all ourselves, except when we have to reach out to younger people to help us remember what buttons to push. If you enjoy our podcast, please like and subscribe and even leave us a review. Let us know what topics you would like to see us address here on Geezer Life. We could really use the support so we don't have to live out our final years camping under a bridge, which is a really hard place to do a podcast from. Yeah, help us get better, because we're working hard at it when we could be napping instead. We now have several ways to contact us. Email at thegeezerlife at gmail.com, Facebook at thegeezerlife, and Instagram, thegeezerlifepodcast. 
Until then, see you next time, unless we keel over in the meantime. So eliminate the worry. Eliminate the strife. It's time to have your fun. It's the key.